I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. I know from my experience as a financial planner that we humans are often inhibited when it comes to talking about money. Many of us struggle to see that money is really just a means to an end and that the decisions we make around money can change not only our life, but the life of others as well. I'm going to be speaking with guests from a variety of backgrounds and asking them to share their personal story and the influence money has had along the way. I'm also going to be delving into some of those tricky money and life questions that I've seen my clients wrestle with over the years. My hope is that the shared experience of my guests will help you think maybe differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to Money Expresso. Where did the summer go? How was yours? I must admit, mine never quite felt like it got going, but don't worry, I always love the autumn too. But what an amazing summer of sport it was with the Olympics and the Paralympics. Such incredible displays of humanity, sacrifice, grit and determination. I was also taken recently by a radio programme talking about kindness and the launch of the kindness test. You, you might have heard of it. It's only over the last decade or so that the importance of positive psychology has been identified as a key factor in our happiness and well-being. And of course, that includes kindness. And we all know when we give, it helps us as the giver as well as the receiver. It's incredible how positive emotions can ameliorate the effects of negative emotions on our body. And I just think, just imagine if kindness became the dominant culture in our workplaces, in politics, and dare, dare I even say our media. I believe the ripple effect on humanity and the issues we collectively face would be enormous. Now, my guest on the podcast today is Tommy Watson, who's a friend and a colleague of mine from Paradigm Norton. Now, just in case you think I've gone slightly mad, I recorded this conversation with Tommy back in April, uh, just in case you wonder why I reference Rachel Blackmore winning the Grand National. Tommy graduated from Durham with a degree in business finance before moving into his career in financial planning. Tommy's career to date has seen him working in the Northwest, Singapore, and now London, where he is client manager and co-leader of the London team for Paradigm Norton, as well as being a member of Paradigm Norton's senior leadership team. When he's not working, Tommy is a fan of most sports and enjoys, I think that's the word, following his beloved Everton around the UK. He also loves a physical challenge, having climbed Kilimanjaro, cycled the length of the UK and completed a number of marathons, triathlons and open water swims. He's also a keen yogi and he's currently mastering the art of the headstand. So. Without further ado, let's crack on. Tommy, lovely to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Thank you, Ruth. Lovely to be here. And just to confirm, I'm on two feet, not on my head whilst doing this. My, my headstand isn't quite that good. <laughs> and, and Tommy, maybe we could just jump straight in. And like in a nutshell, could you just talk us through your journey to become client manager at Paradigm Norton? And, and what was the attraction of, of uh, financial planning for you? Yeah, I think... Um, so I think like most people, I'd probably say initially I, I fell into financial planning and then made quite a deliberate decision to come back to it, which I'll come on to in a minute. So as you said, graduated from, from university, from Durham, um, wasn't too sure what I wanted to do. And I'd done work experience over one Christmas holiday, I think it was, with an investment management firm in Liverpool and just sent the guy I worked with there, my CV, not, not for a job, just for some pointers, you know, what might I want to say about what I did for you type thing. 
Um, and he forwarded it on to a couple of financial planning firms that, that he worked with. And to be honest, I didn't really know what financial planning was. I knew my parents had a financial advisor. That was pretty much it. But from there, I had a couple of interviews. Um, actually got offered both jobs, which was which was brilliant coming out of, of university. So joined a company called Alchemy in, in North Wales, which was a family-owned charter financial planning business and was a brilliant opportunity for me, actually, looking back and spent just over three and a half years there, I think. And at that time, um, well, my, my girlfriend, my now wife, Emma, was uh, living up in the northeast and I was in the on northwest. Um, and we made the decision that we wanted to move somewhere together. We've been commuting up and down the M62 to see each other at weekends for, for too long. And I didn't want to be in sort of the northwest and Emma didn't want to be in the northeast. So we took the logical step of moving all the way to Singapore, which seemed like the next best place. <laughs> we'd, um, we'd both travelled quite a bit at university, so we're quite keen to do that again. Um, and joined a wealth management firm in Singapore, which was, you know, a very different experience to what I'd what I'd had, and maybe the quite um, lucky experience I'd had in the UK. And you know, to give you a bit of an idea, the job I went out with for had um, had salary for a couple of months, and then was commission only, which probably tells you a little bit about the role. Yeah. Um, and I stuck it out for eighteen months. Actually, did quite well, relatively speaking, in terms of the the metrics they used, but just just didn't enjoy it didn't feel I was really adding value uh, didn't necessarily feel it's the right thing to do and decided at that point I was almost a little bit sick of financial services and lost my faith in it a little bit I guess mm. um, so decided to to leave that role and do something completely different and with you know I've been in Singapore 18 months then we're loving our time there wanted to stay there so did that just just found a completely different role in Singapore and I think it was over that period that I really stepped back and thought, what do I want to do? And it, it became more and more apparent that actually I did really enjoy financial planning, but the, the experience I had in the UK and where it was a, a brilliant service, a great career, a great thing to do with clients um, and made the decision then that we were we were going to move back to the, the UK. Um, didn't necessarily have a job lined up to come back to. Uh, I remember actually when I got off the plane uh, in London, checking my emails and had an email confirmation for an interview at the Red House, a firm you'll probably know a little bit about. <laughs> I Ruth. seem to remember that. Um, and that was it. It went really quickly from there. I came down to London two or three, two times, I think, over the next two or three weeks. Um, joined as a as a junior power planner, so getting back in at the cutting my teeth on the basics and went through a number of exams and uh, just learning the ropes really with a with a brilliant team there and what was a what was a relatively small but but sort of close knit team. Um, and yeah, over the next three years, I guess I just took on a little bit more responsibility, looking after, getting more involved with clients, taking on clients in my own right, and then since the, the merger with Paradigm Norton, it's just continued more along that, that vein, really. So now I'm in a very fortunate position that most of my time is spent looking after, after clients. I look after about 40 or so family groups supported with a, a brilliant team around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm a little bit more involved in a few other bits across the business, whether that's the leadership across London or the, the executive committee across the business. So that's a, a bit of a whistle stop, I guess. That was perfect, Tommy. And um, yeah, I I didn't say in my intro that uh, I you you came to work at the Red House, which was the firm that we we moved we merged into Paradigm Norton. And um, I'm just smiling to myself, Tommy, because I always recall back in Red House days, we'd ask people to do a presentation of their um, of their own choice for for five minutes. And I've got to be honest, it was as much as for the fun of us as the interviewers as it was to uh, actually really make a bona fide decision around but I think you did yours on the Singapore sling if I remember I did and I was I was 
seconds away from bringing a sample, but I, you know, if I'd known it was going to be you and Linda, <laughs> what I know now, I would have brought a sample for you both, but I, I didn't. I wasn't sure how that would have gone down. And you still managed to get the job, so you must have done exactly. something right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tommy, um, it's brilliant to see you doing uh, great guns, both as a financial planner. I've seen you with clients, and you work brilliantly with them. Uh, it's lovely to see you getting more involved with various kind of management and le leadership roles. But I'm going to take you scorching straight back now to when you were um, a small boy and I think I'm right in saying that you um, grew up as the son of a professional footballer which yep. to somebody like me Tommy I've got to admit it sounds incredibly glamorous but what was it what was it like for you and kind of like how did money fit into into that world? Yeah so we, we were really lucky growing up and um, yes my dad played throughout most of the, the 80s and 90s he Started his career at, at Norwich, or his professional career uh, at Norwich, moved back to Everton, or to Everton in the mid-80s, and um, he was playing regularly at Everton until sort of 98, 99, was still at Everton until 2000, 2001, I think, so spent mm -hmm. about 15, 16 years there. Um, and yeah, footballers didn't get paid quite as much as they do now back in those days, but it was still clearly a, a great way to make a, a living, and we were, we were very lucky because of that. And it's funny, actually, thinking a little bit ahead of this call, I think we were we were lucky in, in two ways. So obviously financially it was it was a brilliant career that my dad had, and I'll come on to that in a bit more detail. But but actually the fact that he stayed at one club from the year I was born till till he retired, I'm the eldest of, of four. That meant that you know we weren't as as kids moving around schools and having to make new social groups and stuff like that. And mm. whilst probably a little bit more common then, it was still quite rare for a football to spend that long in, in one place. And you know, I I lived in the same family home from when I was born till I went to Singapore sort of 24 25 and my parents still lived there Thank for you. a couple of years after that until they sold when my youngest brother went to university to to move to where they are now so you know we were really really fortunate in that sense from the stability of that that lifestyle and you know I think towards the end of his career my dad did have offers to, to move elsewhere that would have been you know whether in the UK or overseas that would have mm -hmm. been more financially lucrative than than trying to get another year's contract at Everton but I think for him and my mum it was more about what the what was best for the family and that stability that we had and you know some of my closest friends from home I've known from sort of two or three and played football with them since the age of four or five and you know we're really lucky to have that and then I mean look of course we were we were well off growing up um we were very fortunate that my my mum didn't work because of what my dad did which which was quite rare compared to my my friends around me um I'm sure if you asked my mum looking after four of us she'd rather work <laughs> most of the time it would have been easier um but that really meant that our, our family lifestyle it was so such a settled and, and sort of supportive house and that you know my mum was always there for us in the evenings she had to would have lovely home-cooked meals in the week she would drive us all over the northwest to football training or running meets for my sister or whether it's piano or drum guitar lessons whatever it may be god knows the hours she spent of a Saturday and Sunday morning in the miserable cold watching us play football <laughs> um and then my dad as well would also get get really involved in that and he'd coach and train our teams mm -hmm. when he could he'd come and watch the games when he could so I think we're not necessarily necessarily focusing too much on or thinking too much at that stage what money was like I think I was very aware that we were you know we were very lucky in the, the time that we had as a family yeah um and it was a very stable upbringing and but we had some there's some great great trips that we had you know we were always able to go on the, the school trips the football tours whatever it may be uh we had a great family holiday to, to Disneyland in Florida when I was sort of nine or ten and then towards the end of my dad's career we had three 
amazing trips. We went to different Caribbean islands, sort of every other year for, for over the course of six years, which were, you know, unbelievable experiences and, you know, swimming with turtles and doing water sports and all things that you'd never done before. And it was just, and even now looking back, it was such, such great experiences. But I do think we were aware at the time that, you know, that wasn't the norm. We were quite lucky to do that. And actually what we, what we did each other year when we weren't going on these lavish Caribbean getaways is that we, we went caravanning and whether that was uh, the, the sort of Great Yarmouth coast in Norfolk where my mum grew up in there where my grandparents were living we drove to, to France a couple of years to stay in key camps caravans and tents over there and um, and actually my mum and dad owned a, a caravan in North Wales for quite a few years and we'd spend weeks and weeks on end there over the summer which was you know really where we've got some some brilliant family memories and childhood mm-hmm. memories from and yeah. you know we were we were really really lucky because of what my dad did but if there is a if there's a drawback it's that when we were all off over the summer um he was he was working so we'd often be in wales or in your in um in norfolk and he would come and spend a couple of days off of us when he could and we'd just pace ourselves somewhere for the summer but um yeah, yeah of all the places we've been my my dad used to always that caravan in wales it was one of his favorite places you'd, you'd had a big barbecue you'd have a fire outside there was a river running down the bottom of the site and uh, funnily enough friends of mine their parents own caravans there now and we're hoping to go there for a weekend this year and, and can't wait because that's that was like childhood and that's that's what all the great memories come from which bit of wales was that tommy that was in so, um near carnarvon just outside carnarvon in the snowdonia mountain range so it's brilliant we had you know family holidays where you take a friend for a few days yeah. uh, i've been back with the the boys was a little bit older to play golf and been there with, with emma for hiking weekends and, and all sorts so well, lo- oh, it sounds like a lovely um, upbringing, Tommy. And I, I, you know, quite actually quite different to what I thought you were going to say. And I don't know why. And I think it's probably just because of the way the media p- portrays, certainly these days, what we perceive footballers' lives to be like. And that you, that stability that your mum and dad were able to offer you um, and that kind of balance, it seems, from having quite an earthy time, but also recognizing and enjoying some very privileged times is um it, it, yeah it, it's a really great grounding and I um yeah it's really lovely to hear actually were there any um particular memories around money or stories around money that that kind of resonate you know, did you get pocket money for instance yeah so we we used to um so we used to get pocket money and do our, our chores for our pocket money whether that was cutting the grass or um washing the cars or whatever it may be I think yeah. when I got a little bit older actually I negotiated with my mum that uh my pocket monthly pocket money would be a little bit higher but I'd have to buy all my own clothes out of that and I can't <laughs> remember what it was but I remember then having to go shopping and realizing mm, maybe this wasn't the best deal that I could have made <laughs> um but yes so we used to yeah we, we we had pocket money we were uh I remember having the post office savings accounts where as we were growing up we'd put little bits of money here and there and actually that account for me was still going and when I went to, to Singapore I think I, I finally cashed it in and god knows what was in there but that, that went towards a, a new laptop before we went away and that was just you know odds and sods from over the years from whether it's birthdays or whatever it was that you just you'd save because that was what what you were told to do um in terms of I think almost childhood or money memories are, that have, have really stood with me I think it's it's more a couple of things that my dad in particular well used to say but actually still does say to, to this day uh, two phrases that will sound quite contradictory um <laughs> one of them was was uh are they happy though and the other one was it's only money which which sounds quite flippant but wasn't wasn't sort of meant that way mm. 
Um, and it would be, so it's a, you know, are they happy would be, you've come home from school and you're moaning about your mate whose mum and dad have just bought the fancy new car or they've, they've got a new coat or they've got the football boots that you wanted. And my dad would just look at you and say, yeah, but are they happy? Like, <laughs> and it, it was just that, it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other side of it, you know, it's only money was was the complete opposite. And, the, and I think probably the most, the best example of this is when I was quite a bit older. So uh, when I was just about to graduate from university, I'd, we'd finished all our exams and had a couple of trips lined up, one of which was a big getaway with the, the, the group of lads from university. I think there was 16 or 17 of us going to Prague for a couple of days. It was a big last hurrah. Um, and then I'd also booked my first holiday with my then very new girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, mm-hmm. 13, 14 years later. And we were going away for a week and... I was at home working, um, stripping wallpaper in houses and ripping gardens out and all sorts of rubbish like that to try and earn a little bit of money for these holidays. And it soon became quite apparent that whilst I'd paid flights and accommodation, I wasn't going to have enough money to be able to do enjoy both trips. And I'd be that one that was away asking for money or <laughs> Emma and I would go away and not have to be able to do what we wanted to do. Um, and I remember my dad just, his approach was, well, it's only money. I can I can loan you some money. You can pay me back when you get back, get yourself on the feet. And and I think it's always been that approach of, yeah, it's an experience. It's worth paying money yeah. for. And, you know, the material things don't matter. And actually, looking back at that, um, whilst I'm still really close to quite a few friends from university, there's probably a few people that I haven't really seen since that trip yeah. uh, and would have missed the great sort of last last hour of the lads. And yeah. God knows what would have happened if my girlfriend of four months at the time, I'd binned off the, the first holiday to go away with, with the boys <laughs> instead. We would still be together all these years later. I don't know. So... I think um, your dad was very wise there, Tommy. I think he obviously saw that there was promise in Emma as a as a future daughter-in-law, and uh, and I love that. Um, but are they happy? That's uh, yeah. it, you know that can sound quite glib, but it's also very true, isn't it? Yeah, you, you know, and he still um, he still says that to us now all the time. It's, yeah, uh, it's one of yeah. his his sayings. It's and and a kind of almost like a follow-on. You know, is like yeah you know is around you have you got your health isn't it you know are they happy have you got your health but it's only money as well yeah like learn to learn to recognize the real value yeah yeah I like that that's good so Tommy you're um a young man um and uh I uh I was lucky enough to come to your wedding a couple of couple of years ago but I guess you're essentially at the start of your money journey what what does that feel like for a young young married man at the start? Remind me, what does that feel like? Yeah, I think it's. I think actually, there's a you know, from a, a money perspective, a benefit of meeting your your wife at university is that we were both skint when we met, and we're probably <laughs> both skint for the next. Let's say four or five. It's probably more like six or seven years. Um, yeah. So we didn't become, you know, I didn't we went by going to the finest restaurants you could buy and lovely drinks here and there it was you know it was quite basic uh first dates at a cinema and stuff like that so I think we you know, I think we became accustomed to to hopefully quite a um quite a, a sustainable lifestyle that isn't isn't too lavish isn't too materialistic and you know because we weren't earning loads of money to start with whether it's in the UK or we went to Singapore or even when we first moved back to London we were earning well but you know rent's expensive living costs are expensive um budgeting has been a been a big part of that and we've we've always on payday have both kept the exact same amount in our, our current accounts and paid whatever was over and above that into a into a joint account and we've always then just saved from there on on day one or actually when we first came back paid down credit card debt from there on on day one 
and then have left enough in our joint account to um, you know pay pay all the bills, uh, rent, whatever it may be, food expenditure, and have a bit of a, a buffer left mm. over. Um, and then now, sort of you know six years later, we're we're at a point where you know that that cash frankly isn't paying off credit card bills anymore. It's going to whether it's cash savings for a house deposit or money into our ISAs or whatever it may be. Um, if there's any left over at the end of the month, that will just get swept away, which is a little bonus. And what we've been really good at, which I think makes quite a difference, is that certainly in the last few times we've been lucky enough to, to have pay rises. We actually don't really need any more in our current account each month. So every time we've, we always, whenever we had a pay rise, would make sure we increased what we were saving. But the last couple of times we've been in a position where actually any any increase we've had, we don't need any more in our current accounts. We do save some each month that goes to a, a holiday pot. Yeah. Um, and then it's just meant that we can we can afford to save a little bit more. So yeah, we've always always budgeted, which I think you you need to do, especially if you've not got lots and lots of disposable income. Um, yeah. And even though now we're in a position where we we can afford to send a, a little bit more, we've probably managed to keep things fairly fairly tight, I'd say. So so I'm always interested about how. Um... Uh, partners manage their money so you you and Emma both get paid each month and you each retain in your own personal account the same amount um, each month and then anything over and above that goes into a joint account out of which comes the bills and and then anything excess is saved or yeah exactly that so we you know we've always looked at it and because because when we were in Singapore we didn't really have much money to live off so anything that we did have was a joint pot it wasn't that one of us was building some cash on the side or whatever so yeah when we came back um you weren't allowed to have a, a joint account in Singapore unless you were married so when we came back we opened joint accounts and I, I think at the beginning we were keeping maybe 500 pound a month each in our Cummins yeah. account which had to cover your travel to and from work you know your lunches and stuff like yeah. that any clothes that you might mean we, we keep a little bit more now but actually not not an awful lot more mm. and yeah we've always just looked at it that way that you know we're, we're a we're doing this as a team like we'll both Mm. keep the same amount that we can Mm. spend on ourselves and you know we still from the joint account if we go out for a bite to eat or when you used to go to the pub we might get a round of drinks (laughs) on a joint account and it's a bit of a oh should a joint account get this one but um yeah yeah, that's just how we've always treated it i like that because i normally hear it kind of the other way around whereby you know each party transfers an amount which covered the bills and then what you've got left you've got left but but of course if there's any inequality in 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 our earnings and that doesn't really work out very fair and I've seen some incredibly convoluted um, formulas that that people have come up with to try to get that balance but I, I think you've you've nailed that with its simplicity Tommy I like, I like that Good. simplicity is key you know me absolutely keep it simple and um, presumably you're a financial planner you have your own financial plan um, and 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 does that guide you on Emma as to the decisions that you're making yeah, I, I think so. We've um, so we've built our own Voyant plan, which for you know, clients listening will know that's the, the software we use. But for those that, that maybe haven't experienced it, it's it's almost just the bigger picture of what your life might look like between now and age 100. And mm. um, that gave us a, a bit of visibility. And, and I think more at this stage was what we what we should be saving when we might be able to to, to allocate what, or what we might be able to allocate to those longer term savings. And um yeah, that gives us a little bit of confidence, but also gave me, I think at this, this stage, really, it was more just making sure we're saving a good percentage of earnings and just doing some of those basics that, you know, actually, over the long term will, will reap benefits. And there'll be, 
there'll be plenty of changes along the way in our planning that you know, we hope that kids will come along and all the yeah. costs that that brings with it that sure. it's quite difficult to to predict what that might be so yeah. I think at this stage we're keeping it quite simple and that mm. you know what can we afford to save and and that's quite a good percentage of what we're earning so let's just keep doing that and then as as things come along and you know we've, we've got a dog in lockdown which is costing us too much with yeah. treats and toys and stuff like that um <laughs> but there'll always be things that add to the expenditure so um yeah at this stage we're keeping it quite simple but we do have that bigger picture plan behind the scenes that uh i i'm more of a worried lemma so i tend to update it and make us focus and sit down on it and just get a bit of attention to it good for you and it, it's it's something that you do jointly is it the the decisions around the financial plan yeah i would say um i would say that i probably lead it more um yeah. i tend to worry more about money than than emma um yeah. i don't really know where that where that comes from which she's mm. definitely good for me and that mm. i probably worry a little bit less than i used to um yeah. and it might actually just be a you know when we when we came back from singapore we were what, mid to late 20s and friends were buying first houses and stuff like that and as we we came back with with not much really so mm. it, it might have been a bit of a you know maybe not thinking we were where we should be so worrying a bit more about money then um, but I am getting better yeah. at that and it, you know you make a really good point there though Tommy because it's really easy isn't it to to see material possessions that others might have forgetting that you've probably just had a wonderful three years in the in the far east and traveled and experienced um and then you kind of come back to the rat race of the UK or London or whatever and get swept up into worrying about different things it's uh and I kind of feel a little bit like that as we kind of are edging our way out of the, the pandemic. You know, I personally feel like I've led quite a simple existence during this time. I guess we've all had to, to, to a greater or lesser extent. But there's that kind of sense that, well, once everything starts to kind of wind up again, well, I just, you know, get dragged back into my old lifestyle. Um, probably my FOMO, my fear of missing out will mean I do, but it's something to manage. But yeah, I can understand why you would you would feel like that. Which kind of leads me on a little bit to, and I don't know whether this is relevant to the work that you do with clients, Tommy, or when you're talking to your friends, what are the kind of money mistakes that you observe others making? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because it's, um, I think mistakes, it's more, it's more really down to just a lack of, of understanding of what else people might do. And I think we both know there's a, there's a, a wider problem of, of education around you know financial planning or just financial education in general mm. um i think some of the you know some of the basic mistakes and the basics we would always talk to clients about is you know make sure you're paying enough into your pension to get the same amount that your employer or maximum amount your employer will pay in and you know a couple of times friends have asked me over the year oh can you look at this pension what does that mean and it's just obvious stuff that well actually mm. you're giving up some free money that your employer could give you yeah um i love the other one is for those who have maybe bought their first house it's then that obsession that's sort of in their early 30s right I need to do everything I can now to pay off that debt as quickly as possible and then that's a really difficult one because we know as financial planners as you know emotional financial answers and it's it's often a balance of both but mm. I think actually the starting point for that is is maybe not knowing what else you could be doing with with surplus money so actually paying down debt as quickly as you can isn't a mistake it's probably what we've been brought up to do but it just yeah. comes back down to that understanding of what more you could do um, yeah. I think they're yeah. probably the, the key points. I, I think that's right. And, and I think the other one that I see is a total lack of understanding around investment and the perception of that being incredibly risky or 
the flip side of that coin that people take ridiculous amounts of risks because they think that that's what they need to and you know I, I'm not going to stop us talking about cryptocurrency Tommy but that that's the one doing the rounds at the moment isn't it really I think but um, yeah yeah and that's it it's just that lack of understanding isn't it there's mm. there's risks to everything you do and mm. it's it's making sure that the risk you're taking you're you're comfortable with and know why you're doing it which yeah. I think there needs to be a bit more of how would you and Emma know when you've got enough uh good question um so I think for me, I think enough, a lot of people, when you hear enough, it, it's it's almost like it's just enough. You're skimping. You've just got enough to get by. Whereas I don't really think of it like that. I think for me, enough is is being able to do all the things that you want to do that make you happy. And I don't mean just instantaneously being able to do everything, but it's being able to to work to that over the period of a, a year, a couple of years, whatever it may be. So if you know, there's a great trip that we wanted to go on. I'm not expecting to just have enough to do that immediately, but mm. hopefully we're in a position that actually we can budget over the next year to be able to do that, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I think that's what what I'd say is enough rather than rather than enough just being, you know, you can get the most materialistic things to keep up with the Joneses and do all mm. of this. Um I mean in terms of when we'd know if we've we've got enough, I think at the you know, at the moment we we certainly we have enough to do all the things that we we want to do, and it means that we're saving relatively well compared to our in relation to our earnings and you know I'm in a very fortunate position I really love what I do as well so I don't there wouldn't be a point that you know if you can keep enjoying something and get paid for, for doing it then mm. you know why wouldn't you do that so I mm. think it's I, I don't think there's there's not we're not working towards that this is the number we need to get to and then that's enough it's more well actually I'm really enjoying what I'm doing we'll, we'll keep you know if yeah. it keeps paying the bills as well that's that's great I like how you um explains the, the word enough from both a kind of scarcity and an, an abundance perspective isn't it and I think you're right people do often look at, at those two extremes like oh I've just got enough scarcity or abundance all it means that I can do anything that I absolutely want and it is defining that thing I think isn't it and finding out what's right for you and and uh, and your family um in, which kind of leads me on to another question that always really interests me. I mean, you'll know this, Tommy, from talking to clients. Um, we have clients that will, we, we ask people to um, tell, tell us about their expenditure and, and where they spend money. And some people seem to spend almost without a, a sense of, of um, uh, care so it's kind of care less in a, in, a, in, a, in a good way in certain areas of their life and in other areas of their life they watch every penny a begrudge even paying out any money do you have those two examples in 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 your own spending patterns yeah I think so um I think the the almost where we spend well carelessly for want of a better word and not worry too much about it it's it's really on um, whether it's well, not so much at the moment, but entertaining or, or socialising. Mm. And um, I think that comes from, you know, growing up, my, my dad was always very generous, whether it was at family events or out with friends or whatever it may be. So it's always been, you know, if you're having now that restrictions have lifted a little bit, my brother and his fiance came out for a barbecue and, you know, you'll, you'll go to the supermarket, get some of the, the basics in, you, you know, went to the butchers to get some nicer bits for the barbecue, a couple of bottles of wine later, yeah. some, some other drinks and, you don't really look at what you've spent until the day after you're like oh actually that was that was quite a lot but it's mm. it's more like well we just want to make sure we've got everything to have a, a great day with friends and likewise if it's you know if you're in the pub and you know around on a joint account you don't worry too much about what that is because it's it's the occasion um yeah. so I think we've always been a little bit more relaxed about 
spending on on the socializing side of things within within reason right but um but you know people are coming over making a, an effort to really enjoy that um i mentioned paul late and the dog is getting slated but i do notice all the <laughs> bloody amazon deliveries for him at the moment um but actually i think a really funny one is you mentioned a moment ago sort of a more um simple life during lockdown because we've been limited to it but i think going back into the office a little bit sort of back end of last summer but the last few weeks as well a day here and there i'm definitely noticing more the the expenditure that just used to happen as normally you wouldn't have thought twice about but whether it's a coffee in the morning it's nipping to mm. pret or wait for us to grab lunch in the afternoon and something else for a snack and then maybe an extra coffee on the way home so i think i'm i'm noticing those things a little bit more I'm trying to be a bit more mindful about that balance between one to support the brilliant independent coffee shop around the corner from yes. our, our office that's bloody struggled over the last 12 months um but not necessarily just just buying stuff for the sake of it um mm. so i think that's something that i will notice more of before but was very much just just what you did yeah last year yeah yeah it's really noticeable isn't it i've, I've been as you know tommy living down in uh, dorset in the countryside and you know other than going to the supermarket once a week that that's it it's uh, very different um what um in terms of the uh the, the kind of what are the typical things that you see clients uh who you work with what are the things that keep people awake at night around money or what are the things that keep you awake at night i think for clients it's it does come back to that that enough and that that mm. bigger picture i think initially especially for you know, we, we work with clients from all different walks of life, some of which are very, very financially astute and savvy and have, have managed money themselves or whatever it may be. Mm. But you've also got those clients that, that don't really have any understanding to what this pot of money they might have inherited or yeah. windfall from a business sale really means. And I think that's the, the big thing that, that we try to do is give clients that peace of mind for what, what that can mean for for you your family you know what you can afford to spend on your retirement what you can afford to do to help your kids and I think that's you know that's that's often the it's not the be all end all but it's definitely the starting point for great conversations as a client knowing that oh actually we're going to be okay or or the, the alternative that oh actually we might need to save a little bit more or work a little bit harder and I think once you've once you've got that mark in the sand you can then have brilliant conversations off the back of that in terms of well yeah you two are going to be find throughout the rest of your life if these are the things you want to do so do you do you spend more do you give more to friends family charity yeah. whatever it may be because yeah. um, I, I think that that initial bigger picture stuff is just so so rewarding so certainly mm. for us doing it with clients but also mm. for, for clients to see that um, and I think that that's probably the thing that keeps a lot of people awake at night is just you know what does all this mean you, you know yeah. if, you, if you have no context to that bigger picture and you get a statement from pension providers from four or five different jobs you've had over the years it doesn't really mean anything it's yeah. it's money but you don't know what it's there for and what it what it's there to do so I think it makes that's such the, a the difference thing. yeah I think I think you're right Tom I think it makes such a difference to people doesn't it to have somebody bring money to life so they can they can actually really get a feel for what that means and the choices that they can make um what's been your best investment Tommy that's not been related to money for me any anything that's an investment in your yourself and obviously that comes with a bit of a financial cost but but that's mm. always the best investment I think you can make that isn't sort of purely financial related and mm. you mentioned earlier some of the you know, daft challenges I've done over the years but I I think that they will always be my best investments because it's 
it's anything really. So entering a, a marathon, a, a longer swim race or triathlon, triathlon, sorry, it, um, you know, it forces you to get out of bed in the morning and, and yeah. swim or run or train. And it's anything that, that makes you do more of the things that you know you should do. Mm-hmm. But it just incentivizes that a little bit more that you think, God, I don't want to be embarrassed on the day and I, or I want to run this time or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. I think it would always be those types of events that I've, because they can be, so there is a financial cost to them and some of them are, are quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly it, it reaps the rewards over, you know, the three, four months that you may be training for them. And I think that's probably what, one of the things I've missed most over the last 12 months is whilst I've you know, been out running and cycling, it's it's quite easy to have weeks that turn into essentially a month where you've not really done much because there's no real mark on the wall of well yeah. I need to be this fit by this date and you know if you if you wake up before work to go for a run and you don't well that's that's not the end of the world and I used to quite enjoy that that almost pressure of here's my training plan and mm. you might remember I used to have it stuck on my desk and I'd tick off each day that I've done it and then if you haven't done it it's just staring at you in the, in the face so yeah. And those types of investments are, are ones that are really good for you for your well-being and you know I'm a big believer that you know fitness is is related to so many things in terms of just your your mental well-being how, how well you can cope with pressures at work and stuff like that and mm. that's a that's a big release for me yeah there's such a lot in what you just said there Tommy I think around you know having a target something that's going to challenge you the the kind of endorphins that are released when you actually exercise but that kind of just you know the the sense of pleasure that you get from crossing off another day of that um, track that you're actually on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's a, that is a, something that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that you were going to say, but actually I should have realised that because I, I know you. Yeah. Um, Tommy, I love this question. Um, what's been your best buy under £30 in the last year or so? So I'm going to push you just to the boundaries. I am going just over a year. Um, so we can you- allow that. Perfect. I'll take you back to, I think it was the 8th of March, only because I checked the date to see how far out I was. Um, I, so as you know, I'm a big Evertonian and one of the best things of living in London as, a, as an Everton fan is that there's plenty of, of games to go to. Um, so we played Chelsea at the beginning of March last year and I enjoyed a game with my brother and good friend who live locally. And we've been in the away end at Chelsea watching Everton the last four seasons and Watch us get comfortably beat most times. One time we were five 0 down after fifty-five minutes, and I was home by the end of the game. So that's how how successful it's been. So when the the opportunity for tickets came around last year, my brother and friend were dead set. We're not going to the game. It's a waste of time, waste of money. Um, and you know me, Ruth, every optimist. I was like, this time it's <laughs> going to be different. So um, away tickets in the Premier League are capped at thirty pounds. So I spent my thirty pound on my my ticket. Went to the game and got there nice and early, soaked up the atmosphere, which, you know, in a concourse before the game is always one of the, the best things, particularly as an Evertonian, because it doesn't usually get much better after that. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, went to the game and, you know, wouldn't you know it, 50 minutes in, Everton were 4-0 down. I left by about 60 minutes. No. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me it was a big turnaround on your part. No, no, it turns out we're still useless. Um, and if you'd have asked me on the way home, was that a good way, use of money? It would have been no. It was a complete waste. I'm never going again. But actually, that was the, the last weekend that, you know, you're allowed a full stadium of fans. And, you know, if we'd have known before that 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 would be the last chance, my brother mm. and friend would definitely have gone to the game and would have yeah. made the most of it. So... I think mean, that's the, the best spending the last just over 12 months or so. I like that, Tommy. That's that's excellent. And yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Watching football on the television with nobody in the stadium. Yeah, and, and, and just, so much fun. Just whilst we're on that subject and um, of sport, not, not Everton, I've just got to ask you about uh, 
um, Rachel um, winning the Grand National on Saturday, the first woman jockey to win the Grand National. What did you think of that? Oh, incredible achievement. I, I didn't actually, I didn't realise the National was on it. It snuck up at me until yeah, me the, at the weekend. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you remember back in the days, you used to do our little, our little tips before the, the event. Oh, um, we did. My my brother will, will tell you that he he knew all along she was going to win because he had her covered on his on his sweep along with about five other horses probably, <laughs> uh, but no made up for it and it's I think it's probably one of the only sport where you know men and women are on an equal playing field in terms yeah. of not just competing but financially as well so it's it's brilliant that she she did that great achievement brilliant and that of course is dating um, our podcast we're recording today on the thirteenth of April just a couple of days after the Grand National, um, Tommy. You've been a fabulous guest. I always like to leave our listeners with a, a, a pearl of wisdom around money. So what would be the Tommy money pearl of wisdom or wisdom? I think it's like all things in life, do things in, in moderation. And, you know, I mentioned that I'm a, or have been a warrior around money before. And, you know, I can think back to uh, even when I was sort of working in holidays at over university that, I'd be at the mindset of I need to save money to go back to uni to the point where you just become a hermit crab and don't do anything else because you're saving money. Yeah. And that isn't sustainable. And you get to the point where you think, actually, sod it, I'm going to have a night out. And then you really enjoy that and spend probably more than you would have done anyway. Yes. So I think it's, you know, get into good habits of everything in moderation, save a little bit, you know, have money that you're you're going to waste, but waste it on the things that you enjoy and whether that's mm. socialising with friends when we're able to or, or whatever your, your guilty pleasures may be. Um, and just make sure that everything keeps moving in that right direction. But it's got to be achievable to, to enable you to do it longer term. So don't don't overcommit yourself to saving stuff that two months later, you know, you won't be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Everything in moderation, kind of like live for today, plan for tomorrow. But 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 get that balance. Thank you, Tommy. That's been brilliant. You've been a lovely guest. Thank you ever so much. Always good to chat. And uh, I'll look forward to catching up with you again in the near future. Perfect. Cheers, Ruth. Thank you. Thanks, Tommy. Bye bye. So wasn't that a lovely conversation with Tommy, a lovely man who, in my mind, epitomizes kindness and team spirit? I particularly enjoyed listening to him as a financial planner, talking about his definition of enough and about that soul-destroying trip to watch his beloved Everton just before lockdown. Poor thing, but, um, but also quite symbolic, as he, as he also explained. Now, before you go, let me just tell you about my next guest on Money Expresso, Tina Katari. Now, Tina is a fascinating woman. In our conversation, Tina explains how her life experiences fired her passion for human rights and how she's combined this passion with a love of film to launch Another Way Now, an organisation that's dedicated to shining a light on human rights abuses changing conversations and bringing actions to what's happening in the world. And that couldn't be more topical given what's just happened in Afghanistan. So I look forward to seeing you in a week or so's time. Bye-bye for now. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. 
My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you. Thank you.